Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. That's it? That's all we're getting? That's all we're getting. That's all we're getting. I feel like none of the, the other honorifics I was going for were really sticking. So bottom line for the pot, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. If anything big comes up, if I start coaching a football team or I get married or, or have kids or anything, we can we can slide that one in. Or if I start playing college basketball, but as far as the pot, I'm the Pistons B writer. I think that's the one that 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 matters most. So we're sticking with it. That's what I was gonna say. You always give me a hard time about mine having so many, <laughs> but at the end of the day, this is a Pistons podcast. And you're a Pistons beat writer, so none of the stuff I say matters or gives me any credibility. Maybe the former D1 Hooper, but like you're on the Pistons beat writer. That's the ultimate flex, Omari. I mean, everything you say matters. Like I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. Like it, it, it gives us the entirety of who Bryce Simon is. I just have not, and we've been doing this for like a month. I've not found the one that just hits the same. I guess I would say. So I'm just going to keep it simple, and maybe one day. I'll have some inspiration, but for now, Pistons beat writer, going to leave it at that and we'll see what happens next week. But, you know, we're recording an early one this time, so I don't know if my brain just hasn't quite woken up and thought of any good ones yet. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Next week, we're going to we're gonna have a long one. Omari, the season is coming upon us. Off season for you is almost over. Have you felt like you got the chance to take a little bit of break, recharge the batteries, and are you ready for the season to go as a beat writer? I am. Uh, this was the first truly normal offseason, uh, probably since my first year covering the NBA. Uh, and obviously, 2020 uh, with the, the, the pandemic, uh, and that wasn't really an offseason. It was just everything was shut down for like eight months. And then last year, uh, the offseason was a little bit shorter uh, because everything was pushed back. So the uh, summer league was in August instead of July. Uh, you know, draft was in July instead of June. So. Uh, this year was normal. It definitely felt uh, longer than last year because it was a month longer than last year. Uh, didn't do any any big trips uh, last year. I went to Seattle and that was fun. But I did go, go to Vegas twice, both for work purposes. Uh huh. Yep. 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 They, that, that's what everybody says. Their their work meetings or what conferences just happen to be in Vegas. You there was probably one in Detroit. You just happened not to be able to make that one, so it had to be the one in Las Vegas. No, they were both in in Vegas. Summer League was in Vegas, and then the uh, the NABJ conference, National Association of of black journalists they switch cities every year and then that one was also in vegas so the episode we recorded with Laz like uh four or five weeks ago um i was in my vegas hotel room for and you go to vegas twice in one summer both for work like and they both were for work i think that just exhausts your travel battery for the rest of the summer uh we didn't even necessarily want to go the second time because i'm not a big gambler and like i'm just that's not my thing. But once I did that, I was like, I'm, I'm playing the cool the rest of the summer. I don't need to go anywhere else. I've braved the Vegas heat for like 12 total days. I think I'm good. I've had my fill. 
I do have to mention that Amari watched me lose 50 bucks on, I believe it was red <laughs> during summer league when we were out there, when we were hanging out one evening. So we, we, we had a good time when we were out there for summer league. Before we get into this episode, we did have a new rating and review. Um, I, I, I love this Omari. Instead of putting their name, they just put college football is back, which I'm excited <laughs> about as well. I am a college football fan, but they say nowhere else I'd rather go for my Pistons insiders, fun, listen, and incredibly informative. We always enjoy the reviews and we always enjoy the thoughtful reviews and we always get, I think, thoughtful reviews. Um, college football is back. Thank you for the comment. Uh, I think me and Bryce both share your excitement that college football is back. Michigan State's going to play Washington later. So hopefully by the time this comes out, uh, we'll be able to talk about a win the following week. But I have no clue what to expect from Michigan State this season. There's no Kenneth Walker, uh, no no Peyton Thorne. Well, we do have a Peyton Thorne, but we don't know if he's – a bit on last season yet. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Uh, thank you for the comment. We appreciate it. Uh, definitely send us work because it makes us feel good. We got to talk to Wes, see if we can get a football segment in at some point. We can talk Chiefs, Lions. Uh, Wes, Wes scoffed at that really, really fast. Okay, we better get into this. So this is going to be an all-Eastern Conference preview, Amari. We're going to go division by division, and we'll pull in Pistons storylines around some of these teams because there are some things that go together. But we'll start in the Central Division. I think if you start in the Central Division, you still have to start with the Milwaukee Bucks. Obviously, there's a couple other teams that maybe have bigger storylines around them from this offseason, but lost in seven games in the conference semifinals to the Celtics, essentially bringing back the same team. They did sign Joe Ingles. They drafted Marshawn Beauchamp. But outside of that, essentially the same Milwaukee Bucks team we saw last season, Amari. Pretty much, and that's probably fine. I'm definitely curious to see if Joe Ingles, who is like 34 or 35 now, is able to recover and uh, give them some punch in the playoffs, which they need. Uh, last year was interesting just because Chris Middleton got hurt and he wasn't around uh, for that, that playoff push. And uh, the Boston Celtics were able to capitalize and get all the way to the Eastern Conference, well, all the way to the finals. One thing I'm wondering is, you know, it, was Boston like that good? Like, would they have been able to beat Milwaukee um, in the seven-game series? Because, you know, by my money and probably by most people's money, uh, Giannis is still the best player in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I do think Jason Tatum will be a lot better next season with the the sting of the finals loss. Uh, probably still fresh, but uh, it's still Giannis's conference. Uh, he's the most dominant player, and argue, arguably, right now in the NBA. Uh, and they didn't have an incredible offseason, but I thought they had some, some good role players. I covered Javon Carter for a little bit, uh, his rookie season in Memphis, and he's just sort of your, your, your Bruce Brown type, uh, 3 and D. He might be a better shooter than, than, than Bruce Brown, actually. Uh, but I like this team. Uh, they won 51 games last year. Um, I think that uh, next season they're probably still number one. Uh, honestly, it's just tough to see, even with all the other moves that Boston and other teams made, uh, how a, a team with a healthy Giannis will, will fall short. So we'll see, but I always like watching Milwaukee. Uh, I think they're a fun team. I think Giannis is one of the most unique players. Definitely excited to see what they do next season. I think they've fallen into that category of like, they're just so good. It's essentially the same team every year. It's almost not fun to talk about a Mamari, you know, like we're going to talk about the Cavs in just a second. And, you know, it's just, you know, that they didn't do a whole lot, but they're still going to be very good. So I, I want to ask you, still have them as surefire title contenders. They would be a tier one team, whatever that tier is, they would be a tier one team for you still. Yeah. I mean, you bring back Bobby Portis, um, you bring back Pat Cotterton. 
And yeah, like, like, like I said, I thought Ingles was a good pickup. Um, they brought back Sergi Baca. Just they didn't really need to do a lot uh, to bring their core back, and they did what they're supposed to do. A very boring offseason. And obviously, you know, with most of their core guys outside of Giannis and Chris Middleton, uh, well over 30, you always wonder if it's one of those situations where your superstar talent is still as good as it needs to be. Uh, obviously, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, uh, maybe not quite superstars, but stars. I mean, you know, some of the best starters in the NBA. Um, in Chris Middleton's case, I think he asked me to all-star team or two. Uh, but that surrounding core, uh, like I said, of Bobby Portis and um, Pat, everybody else is pretty much well over 30. And maybe there's a situation in the playoffs where you're really hoping Joe Ingles comes in and maybe isn't six men of the year caliber, but can at least get you, you know, like 10, 12 points. That's my question for them. I think whatever is a team where all of your or most of your key role players are older than like 33, uh, you kind of wonder if they're going to hold up. So it could be a case where they are probably like the fourth seed in the East just because they're resting guys and then they're going to get in and then they change the rotation up a lot in the finals. But, uh, but they, but they are pretty old outside of their like main guys. So I think you just kind of wonder about their role players. Yeah. So speaking of their age, that, that's where I want to tie in the Pistons, Amari. How much longer is this Bucks run? At least this iteration of it. So Middleton's 31, Holiday 32, Lopez 34, Ingles 35, Connaughton's even 30, George Hill 36, Serge 33. You know, one or two more years, I feel like is all this version of the Bucks that we're going to see. And then it's going to be a new version of this team. And, I mean, at least there's a chance there for the Pistons to overtake him, even though Giannis is absolutely incredible and still has five, six, seven more years in his prime. Yeah, I mean, they're really one or two years away from really having to reshape the roster. And I think it's clear now that Giannis is on that tier where as long as he is healthy, he will at least get you to the playoffs, even if some of that surrounding cast kind of falls apart around him. From a depth standpoint, they don't really have that big of a margin. And we'll talk about the Boston Celtics in a bit, but especially looking at how, you know, their death was one of their, their best things last season where Rob Williams could get hurt and uh, you still are competitive against Golden State to the extent that you could be competitive against a healthy Golden State team. Um, and they got deeper this year. And Milwaukee didn't, didn't necessarily get deeper. Uh, so from a depth standpoint, yeah, I think they're going to have some stuff to, to, to prove. Um, it's also not like, some other teams where you have young guys who could conceivably step in and get better, like Golden State, you've got like you know three or four recent first round picks, lottery picks who could you know step up and take a big role this year. I'm not really seeing that with Milwaukee. So, I mean, I'm not going to bet against a healthy Giannis season like that. Uh, LeBron slash like Tom Brady tier for me now, where he's just so good if he gets going. It's not a whole lot you can do. Absolutely, I think by this point next season, you could look at that roster and say they're going to have to retool sooner rather than later because all these guys are 34. Let's uh, move on to the Chicago Bulls. They lost in the first round to the aforementioned Milwaukee Bucks. Signed Andre Drummond this summer, Goran Dragic, drafted Dalen Terry out of Arizona. Lonzo Ball, you know, dealing with the injury still. Levine, DeRozan, Pat Williams going to be coming back now healthy. Vooch, interesting roster. I'm not sure. I have them in the tier kind of below this, Omari, where I think they're probably a playoff team, not a true championship contender. 
I do think there's a world, though, where this team could struggle this season. There's a lot of injury questions on this team, and I'm just interested to see how it all comes together, although there also is a world where it does. You know, with Caruso, Io, the the roster looks interesting um, as well. So I'm not really sure which direction the Chicago Bulls are going to go. Yeah, I mean, they started off really hot last year. I know people were a little skeptical about the DeMar Rosen signing uh, just because he's on the wrong side of dirty and team with him as the best player had never really had a lot of playoff success. Uh, but him and Levine uh, last season, they really did get up to a really hot start. And DeMar Rosen, I remember he had that stretch where he had like two insane uh, game winners back to back and they were just doing uh, some silly stuff. And then Lazo gets hurt and then Caruso gets hurt. And then sort of your backcourt death kind of falls apart. Yeah, Pat Williams wasn't there to start the season, so you kind of fall apart. So, I mean, with Lonzo, you know, ideally healthy. With I think Caruso is healthy. Uh, and then AO, I mean, he had a pretty good rookie season. Uh, he was one of my favorite players in the, the draft. He's one of those guys, like, you look back, it's like, why did he fall out the, the top uh, 14? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, but he'll be good. Uh, Patrick Williams, who, like, I don't know if I've ever seen Patrick Williams play an actual game. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen him play a basketball game yet. Um, like the he, idea he, of Patrick Williams is really good. Uh, he, he he did play during that, that COVID season. That feels like it was five years ago. But they have a lot of pieces where it would it shock me. I mean, they won 46 games last year. They would have won 50 if it weren't for some of the injuries they had. They could be sneaky good next season. Like, I look at their team. They, they, they drafted Dalen Terry, who, like, I don't – think it's going to be like a necessarily a really good role player as a rookie but by the end of the season I could see him being pretty good because he was just sort of that quintessential just big point guard like good playmaker good defender uh jump shots iffy but I think he's in a good situation to just kind of find his legs um pretty similar to AO last season so I like this team. I like them last year. I like them this year. I wouldn't be shocked if they won 50-plus games and they end up making, like, the second round of, of the finals. Not the second round of the finals. Second round of the playoffs. And, I mean, De- DeRozan is, like, 32. So, you know, I don't know what their upside is beyond this season. But I think I think they're going to be pretty good for sure. I wouldn't be shocked if they were a top-four team in these. Yeah, I mean, I think they can – really go that way. I don't think there's a ceiling where they're true title contenders. I don't think I'd put them there. Would you put them there like absolute everything goes right? You think they can be competing in the East with some of those teams? I think they can because a lot of playoff series is just if you have two guys who could get you a bucket whenever, um, that can keep you competitive in a lot of games. And they do have two players and Levine and DeRozan who could do that. Again, I think they were probably both a tad better than maybe you would expect and Part of you wonder is if they're due for a regression because of that. But overall, I, I do think that just from the standpoint of you have two guys who can pop off whatever, um, and you got pretty good depth behind them. They picked up Andre Drummond in the backup boots. Um, defensively, not a great front, front court, but it does solve some, some, some issues. I like their upside. So there's two teams that probably had the most interesting off-seasons in this division. And the first one is the Cleveland Cavaliers, Amari. And they came in, they swooped in, in front of the New York Knicks. They trade for Donovan Mitchell. The package has been talked about. Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, Jarrett Allen. I know it has Pistons fans freaking out about how good this team is and how young they are. What did you think about the Donovan Mitchell trade? What do you think about this Cavs team going into this season? And then, 
you know, over the next three, four, five seasons as our own Pistons continue to get better. Yeah, I like the, the Donovan Mitchell trade a lot. I know a lot of times, sometimes people are skeptical of when teams kind of go all in and the player they bring in is the perfect fit. And they did go from a small backcourt with Garland and Sexton to another small backcourt in uh, Mitchell and Garland. But um, I think just from its overall talent upgrade, um, it's a no-brainer. Uh, they didn't give up uh, any of their true core guys. Like, even to keep Kevin Love, I thought was great because Kevin Love was a six-man of the year contender last season. And, yeah, I mean, if you're a Pistons fan and you're hoping to catch the Cavs, uh, yeah, they definitely spent their time lined up a pretty significant amount. And uh, they will be better than the Pistons next year. I don't think that's breaking news unless uh, Jaden Ivey is Donovan Mitchell right off the bat. And, uh, you know, Sadiq Bey also makes a pretty big leap as a scorer. But uh, I like this Cavs team. I like when teams go all in. Like, I like the Rudy Gobert trade, too, for Minnesota. Um, you only have so many years to win, and sometimes the, the stars align and help you do it. So, good team, good trade. The East is going to be a bloodbath next season because I also think they could finish top four, but I feel that way about eight teams. So, <laughs> Yeah, it, it is. It, they're really good, and there's some really good teams at the top as, as we continue through this. I, I want to ask one question here with them. Garland and Mitchell are going to start Mobley and Allen in the front court. Who do you think slides into the three? You know, last episode we ran into this with the Pistons. Who's that guy that kind of fills out the roster as we went through all those lineups? Is it Karis LeVert? Is it Isaac Okoro? Do they, you know, is it Shady Osman? Do they do lineups where they go Ricky Rubio and you have three guards on the floor? I don't know that you can do that. Who do you think starts games for them at that three spot? You know, the thing is they need shooting because um, Mobley shot decent to start last season and it kind of fell off. And, you know, does he make a leap to where he's a reliable shooter? Tough to say. Jared Allen's not a shooter. Um, you do have shooting in the backcourt, but I feel like if the person you put at that three spot cannot shoot, uh, that starting five probably has a lot of issues on offense. Not a lot of issues on offense because you've got some talent, but you have some issues. Seti Osman, like he can shoot, like here's the vert, like talent wise, it's great, but he's not a great shooter. I don't think Okura's a great shooter either, so it wouldn't shock me if Seti Osman gets that spot, and then you have a pretty good bench with Karras, uh, just to balance things out a little bit. I don't love Karras in that starting lineup. I think you let him just cook off the bench, and you're right, that's what's really interesting. As much as they gave up in that trade, you got Rubio, the vert, if you started Osman, then you have Okoro, and Kevin Love still, you know, I mean, the contract's huge. It's he, He's not as good a player as what the contract is, but he's still a good player, as you mentioned earlier. So I do think it's a nice roster. It still has decent depth for a trade where they, you know, when you usually when you trade for a superstar like Don, well, I don't know if he's a super for a star like Donovan Mitchell, sometimes that can hurt, but they've been able to keep it. So I'm really interesting to see how it all comes together, how it develops. I don't have them as a true title contender in tier one. I have them the top team in the tier below, which is obviously they're going to make the playoffs, but I'm not sure they're true contenders. Would you disagree? I think you disagree. I think you have them maybe a little bit like true contenders in the East. I don't know if their ceiling is as high as like a Milwaukee or a Boston. I'm not quite there with them. Um, at the same time, Donovan Mitchell, I do think he's a, a superstar. Uh, I, like, I don't know playing in Utah necessarily gave him the uh, platform you would have elsewhere. Not that Cleveland is not much bigger of a market. I'm curious to, to see. Like, I feel like that's a team that I probably would not pick to make the Eastern Conference Finals, but you also don't necessarily feel comfortable picking against them because uh, the Evan Mobley leap could put them right in that tier if he becomes the player that, you know, I think you and I both agree 
he can become. So he's sort of the, the, the wild card. I think it hinges on his development. But beyond that, I think they have the talent certainly to make a run. So let's finish up this division with a team that's kind of in the same or most similar boat to the Detroit Pistons and could get into the quote-unquote tank race or whatever you want to call it. That's the Indiana Pacers, Amari. So this offseason, they traded Malcolm Brogdon. They lost TJ Warren in free agency. They went after DeAndre Ayton, obviously whiffed on that. They drafted my guy, Benedict Matherin, and two of their best three players – are linked to the Los Angeles Lakers every single day in Buddy Hield and Miles Turner. What is going to go on with the Indiana Pacers this season? Because to me, it's going to end up being trade those two guys and tank for Wimbenyama. Yeah, I think that's what they're angling themselves toward. Because you look at the roster and they're clearly uh, moving toward a rebuild, but you've still got some players on the roster, like obviously Miles Turner, who is pretty good. And long term, I mean, I think he's like 26 years old. You know, he doesn't necessarily fit. Tarius Oliburton, I mean, he was great last season. So I think he's probably the player you look at and say they could build a team around him. Is he a number one on a, a championship team? Probably not. Is he a good number two or number three, uh, potentially? And if he gets to like that number two spot and then you get a top four pick next year, I think you're in great shape going forward. So I know Pistons fans are thinking, finally, we're talking about a team who could be worse than the Pistons next year. And they might be. They, they still have some decent talent on there. Uh, I don't know for a fact that the Pistons will be better than them because, you know, you do have Halliburton, you do have Miles Turner, you do have some players who are pretty good. Yeah, I'm curious to see. But I do think, you know, by the, the trade deadline, we'll see them continue to angle toward more of a traditional rebuild. TBD, but, you know, I thought their offseason was very much a we are about to tank offseason. You know, whenever you look through it, a lot of the teams that you know right now are going to tank next season are actually in the West. And, you know, the the Rockets, I think, the Thunder now with Chet, the Jazz eventually are going to get there. They still got to trade off some vets and the San Antonio Spurs. You know, in the East, you know, you assume the Magic are not going to be great. And, you know, we've talked about the Pistons and where we think they are. Not that they're truly tanking, but they're not going to win a ton of games. But the Pacers, I think, are going to be the most obvious team that gets in this race. One final question before we go to a short break. Pick your backcourt, Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin or Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. Oh, you're going to make me do that. Wow. Well, last episode, you hoped that the Pistons were going to lose to the Celtics on the Saturday game. I'm going to be there. So just go ahead and double down on it. I'm going to take uh, Cade and Ivey long term. Uh, like as good as Tyrese Halliburton was last season. Uh, I just think Cade is going to be better. And then long term, I just think I like Ivey's upside a lot more than Matherin's, even though Matherin's game uh, you could just kind of easily see how he is an NBA player. And uh, from a skill standpoint, you probably want to see Jaden Ivey get better as a shooter at the very least. I think getting downhill would translate, and I think his passing will be pretty good. But just long term, I think I think Kate and Jaden have more upside, even if there's a chance that Tyrese and Ben Math are better next season. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a really good battle. Tyrese Halliburton's a really good player. I've talked at length on this podcast how much I like Benedict Matherin. But Cade is absolutely the X factor in this. I think he's going to be better than Tyrese Halliburton. You mentioned it early. I think Cade is the face of the franchise number one guy. Halliburton's not quite that. Ivy and Matherin are close for me. I said I would take Ivy, you know, in between the two, but it, it was very close for me. So I'll stick with that. But it will be exciting, kind of a interdivisional backcourt. Um, rivalry between those two young backcourts moving forward. When we come back from this short break, 
we are going to dive into the Atlantic Division with the Raptors, Celtics, Knicks, Nets, and 76ers. All right, hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Mars, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want, you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food. Arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. All right, we're back, um, and we're going to discuss the Atlantic Division. And this might be the most fun division in the Eastern Conference next season, if not one of the most fun divisions in the entire NBA. Uh, we're going to lead off with the uh, Toronto Raptors, uh, who had a pretty, pretty. I think they had a pretty good offseason, uh, maybe pretty quiet, but obviously they exceeded expectations last season. And you bring all your core players back, and then you resign Chris Boucher, uh, you signed Otto Porter, who I thought was a really good pickup. He's just a great all-around role player. Former, former Michigan big man, DJ Wilson, who I don't think he's done a whole lot. Uh, I really did like him. I sort of a 3-and-D guy coming into the draft. And they also signed Josh Jackson uh, a couple weeks ago. You know, they've got – Tarasso is just a weird team because you look at them on paper and then it seems like they always end up being like 15% better than you expect just because they have good coaching and – uh, pretty good, solid development. And, uh, Bryce, what are you expecting from this team next season? Because this is a team that I have a hard time placing in, like, the East hierarchy. Uh, like, I think they're a playoff team, but on their first-round exit, like, does Scotty Barnes make a leap, and then they're sneaky good and make a run? Uh, kind of where do you fall? First off, this division is brutal, Omari. Like, it's absolutely brutal with the Knicks, you know, depending on how good you think they're going to be. I have the Raptors kind of in that same tier as the Cleveland Cavaliers. Playoff team, but I just don't think they're an actual contender in the Eastern Conference. You know, I talked about the Bucks. There's a few other teams, obviously, in that tier for me that we're going to talk about very, very soon. But I, I think they're still not quite there. I love that this organization has a vision that they believe in top down. They've bought into it fully. You mentioned Josh Jackson. This may be the best place for him to actually succeed and get minutes. Like this is the team for him to be on where maybe he can realize his potential in the NBA. So as a, you know, a Michigan kid, as someone that played for the Pistons organization recently, I hope he finds success with the Raptors. I'm still a little bit hesitant with Scotty Barnes in terms of like, yes, he's going to be really good. He's probably a multi-time all-star. Is he like that dude? I'm not sure. I think they still got to figure some stuff out. Is it him or Pascal Siakam? OG, there was some weird stuff this offseason. I, I think it's going to be a very interesting season in Toronto, Amari, but they are very talented. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, they, they have talent. They have depth. I agree that that's probably the best case scenario uh, for Josh Jackson. Uh, they also took a swing on some V last year and uh, didn't quite work out. But Josh has all the, all the tools to be an effective role player. It's just 
I think if he could just reliably shoot at least 33, 34% from three, that would probably be enough to uh, secure his spot somewhere. But I agree. I think this team is still probably somewhere in the middle. Maybe Scotty makes a leap. You know, Scotty was also probably in like the perfect situation for a skill set last season where he is at best a number three on offense. I could kind of lock in defensively. Uh, so we'll see. We will see. Like, I do like that team. I think they're one of the more fun teams in the league to watch. I uh, like Fred Van Fleet as one of the uh, few NBA players who are stars while being my height. So I'm not to <laughs> like here. But yeah, let's move on to the Boston Celtics. Um, we talked about them a little bit earlier, but I thought for a team that made the finals, they really had just sort of the almost the perfect offseason. Um, Gallo uh, towards ACL again, and I think that's a tough loss, but uh, to get Malcolm Brogdon, who gives you a lot of what you already have from Marcus Smart and uh, Derek White, obviously, but also maybe a slightly better shooter than those guys. I thought that was a good pickup. What do you see uh, from the scene last year? Do you think they come back a little bit better than last season with their their death? I mean, last year was like the, their best case scenario. Uh, do they get exposed this year or do they run it back? So I have to be honest, I was kind of just penciled them in as an absolute contender in the Eastern Conference. But I was talking to Matt Moderno the other day. He does a Wizards podcast and he actually pegged them as a team that could possibly take a step back, Omari. And he brought up some good points. Like everything went right for them in the second half of the season. They found their chemistry. They found their flow and, and maybe they continue it. But Al Horford's not young and like he found the fountain of the youth in the playoffs but does he bring that into the regular season? Does Grant Williams continue to shoot the ball? There's, you know, talks that Malcolm Brogdon isn't exactly like the easiest guy to get along with in the locker room. Do Jalen and Brown and Jason Tatum, is there any sort of fallout between who's the star, the trade conversations, all that stuff? I'm not saying any of it's true. I'm not saying any of it's going to happen, but I do think we have to be a little bit careful of, do we just think this team continues to grow and get better? And they're missing a five-man, Omari. Like, who's the backup five for this team? And that's why there's a few of these teams in the Eastern Conference. Uh, you know, the Pistons have a lot of extra bigs on this roster, Omari. So maybe Troy Weaver knew what he was doing, collecting all those guys, and he ends up flipping them to a team like the Celtics. So the Celtics won 51 games last year. And you touched on it, and they started off kind of uh, weak. Took them a while to figure out their chemistry and everything, and then – it seems like around January, they kind of just took off and they didn't look back, uh, you know, except for when they played the Pistons, obviously. <laughs> but I think they could get up to like close to 60 wins next season. I'm not worried. Like, I think they figured out a lot of the issues they had last season. Uh, yeah, Al Horford is 36, but I think Grant Williams is the legit. You see him get better as a shooter every single year. And he's just like your perfect playoff big where he can kind of shift, you know, four or five. Um, probably not going to play him off the floor if he's hitting threes. Um, Robert Williams, uh, we didn't really see a lot of in the finals. So, I mean, and his health may always be an issue every season. Uh, but with Al Horford uh, being 36, uh, yeah, I mean, realistically, he's probably not going to be um, someone you want to rely on too much. And I would expect they'll probably save him as much as they can for the playoffs for that reason. Um, but Robert Williams, I think him and Grant Williams, they kind of step in and uh, you can handle a lot there. They are a little thin up front, you know, with Al Horford being 36, so maybe there's something to have to figure out there. You know, I don't know if the Pistons, I mean, maybe they maybe Derlin Snowell would interest them or 
uh, stuff from me to see Kelly Olenek really fitting just from a standpoint if you're in the finals and do you give up too much de- defensively? But I mean, of course, if there's a deal there, you know, the Pistons have enough depth to where they can look at something around the trade deadline. But I like to see him overall. I think they have great depth. I mean, you have a lot of guys at the point of attack, you know, from the guard and the wing who will just really make life tough for opposing point guards. Uh, I think Jason Tatum comes back better. I'm just a big believer in like when young players get to the finals for the first time and get embarrassed or exposed or whatever, uh, that kind of gives them that extra push to come back even better. And I, like Tatum's one of my favorite players in the league to watch. I think he's incredibly good. And then Jalen Brown too is still young. He could come back a little bit better. So I think when your top two players are already stars or in Tatum's case, a superstar, and they're both still really young, that positions you really, really well. So I have the Celtics winning at least 57, 58 games next year. I think they're going to just completely run away. I don't disagree that it, all the makings for them to have a really good season is absolutely there. I, I just thought it was interesting to hear somebody bring up some of the possible ways it could go south and maybe we shouldn't just pencil it in like, hey, this team is just going to continue the flow and the chemistry they had last season. But it's very possible that they do. We're going to move on uh, to probably the one team in this division who may not make the playoffs. They still could. Uh, but the New York Knicks, not a great offseason. I don't think their offseason was probably as bad as you know some of us have made it out to be. But you know they were the team who were rumored to be in the running for uh, Donovan Mitchell. And that ended up not happening. Uh, for reasons, uh, you know, without those reasons, I've seen a lot of reporting on it. Uh, just seems like they just kind of messed up, honestly. But you bring in Jalen Brunson, who is a really, really solid, above-average starting point guard. You bring back Mitchell Robinson. Uh, you extend R.J. Barrett, which personally, you know, I'm iffy on if that will work out for them. Uh, but at the same time, shout-out to R.J. for being the first uh, Knicks first-rounder to get an extension. Uh, probably since I was like two years old. I don't know. I think the offseason season is fine, but a lot of it is just for next season. Do they regress again or do they kind of get back on track to where they were uh, the season before? Where are you on the New York Knicks? Yeah, so if I had like my rankings, I have them 10th in the Eastern okay. Conference. And so like that's making the play-in game. Like that's just, and, and, and it's crazy because honestly, Amari, when I actually go through their two deep roster, so this may not be how they actually start the season, but Brunson quickly, Barrett, Randall, Mitchell Robinson starting, Derek Rose, Grimes, Fournier, Obi Toppin, and Isaiah Hartenstein coming off the bench. Like, I don't think that that's a bad roster at all, but I, I don't know that it gets you any better than 10th in the East because of all these other teams we've talked about and how good they are. So, if things don't go well, if Derrick Rose isn't healthy, if some of these guys don't improve, if some of it doesn't gel, like who knows where Julius Randle is at? You know, after a really, really good season, we've seen him not be so good. Does he bounce back or, you know, has the league quote unquote figured him out? So I think they're another team where I don't think they get any better than the play in game no matter what. But if you told me they finished 12th or 13th, I actually wouldn't be shocked. Because, I mean, that's just – the East is pretty good. We're going to talk about the Washington Wizards here in a little bit. That's another roster that when you go through it isn't bad. So, like you said, you know, you give Brunson all this money, Barrett all this money, and you're not even a contender. You're not even close to a contender. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Uh, I went through the East the other day, and I have them as, like, that tough seed. Uh, They are probably the main reason why I I don't think the Pistons are a playing team yet, just because the Knicks, even if they're not good next year, even if they don't, finish above 500, 
Uh, not just think their floor is higher. Uh, Julius Randle is still a really good player. And you hope Brunson can maybe take enough pressure off of him that he can kind of get back to what he was uh, a season before, uh, which he was due for a progression as a shooter. So not super shocking, but also just seems like he kind of lost the fan base and just kind of lost support, uh, which is a tough situation to be in. Uh, but just on paper, I mean, this isn't a great team, but I mean, they're t- they're they're good enough to make the the play in for sure. Just Brunson and Randall alone, death wise, they don't have amazing death. I mean, you have Emmanuel quickly, uh, Quentin Grimes is solid, Bobby Toppin, uh, Evan Fortier. I mean, Derek Rose. This roster really only goes like nine ish deep. So um, if anyone gets hurt, then maybe that knocks them out entirely, and then the Pistons can pounce. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't love this roster. I don't. I don't love this team. They have some players. Um, it looks like a roster where they were angling to make a big move and it didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, you just kind of look at it like that's what it looks like. 39 wins, tough seat. Uh, that's my prediction. But that's the thing, right? Like we're talking about the Knicks with the, the, those players and that's where the Detroit Pistons have to get. So even though we don't love this roster, Amari, you put them at 39 wins, that would be a 17-win improvement for the Pistons to just get the 10th seed. You know, they have to go win 40 games to get there. So that kind of tells you the kind of jump the Pistons would have to make for anybody in the fan base who thinks that the play-in may be in play for Detroit this season. Yeah, I mean, there are firmly nine teams ahead of the Knicks. Like, you go down the list. Like, yeah. there are firmly nine teams. <laughs> firmly, ahead. yes, yes. Like, it's not even, like, you're looking at this team, but it's like, okay, well, who's the, the, the ninth seed? Like, the Brooklyn Nets, you know? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, I mean, the East is just super deep, so it's not really a knock on the Pistons at all. If it's for the East of, like, 2013 or 14, yeah, maybe we could have that talk. But this is, like, the strongest Eastern Conference in my lifetime, probably your lifetime. I mean, uh, yeah, the East is just insane right now. Uh, so, yeah, moving on to... The uh, the other team in New York, the Nets, who had an extremely weird offseason. Uh, it just you know it just seems like that offseason had three or four phases, and in the end, they are bringing back roughly the same team. Uh, you have Kevin Durant still. You have Kyrie Irving still. Um, you retain Kessler Edwards, who I thought was pretty solid for Ricky. Stop Nick Claxton. Uh, you have Ben Simmons in theory. On like on paper, this team is good enough to be a top four team. It's just. They went through just so much stuff this offseason. You wondered, like, from a chemistry standpoint, like, how does it work out? But on paper, from a talent standpoint, they have, they have a chance to be as good as anyone, I feel. We, we don't have to sit on the net, the Nets for very long, Omari. I just want to say this. Like, my, I guess, hot take, I think they're a championship contender. I think they're a top four team as we sit right now in the offseason because that roster is it's, it's really good. It just It just is. And I know it's the idea of Ben Simmons, but KD, Kyrie, you have Seth Curry. They traded for Royce O'Neal. TJ Warren can get a bucket. Like, I just like the roster. I think if they everybody would fill their role, I actually think it fits together nicely. Does it actually happen and come to fruition? I have no idea. I realize there's probably a better chance that it doesn't than it does, but... I just feel like this roster is really, really talented. So as we sit here in mid-September, I have them in my top tier as a top four team. Yeah, the thing about Brooklyn is there's always just there's always drama. There's always something in the background that people are talking about more than the actual basketball. And they've had bad luck. Uh, there's a lot you couldn't predict last year as far as Kyrie with the vaccine and then James Harden saying, like, I'm out, like, you know, y'all are crazy or whatever happened. Um, you know, like a season before, uh, they had some some injuries. Like I know James Harden was playing on like a bad hamstring. And 
Uh, there's just always been something, but there's always been something holding this team back. Sure. And on paper, they should be as good as anyone, but it just makes you reluctant to predict any sort of real success for them because of that. But if they stay healthy, if the stars align, if like whatever behind the scenes issues that were taking place between like Kyrie and KD and uh, management, ownership, whatever, uh, if all that gets squashed, Ben Simmons comes in and he's just like your perfect number three. He's doing what he should be doing. Uh, which is just defending one through five, uh, pushing the ball in transition, uh, occasional post-ups, cuts, whatnot, uh, perfect number three. Uh, this team can solve a lot of issues in the playoffs, honestly. I mean, like I think Ben Simmons, if he comes back and he's the player that he's supposed to be, uh, solves a lot of problems for you in the playoffs. So uh, I can't say that they're not a contender because they are. I just think that they have the highest ceiling and the lowest floor of any team possibly in the entire NBA. So <laughs> they if if we were talking NBA draft prospects, Amari, we would label them in the ultimate boomer bus prospect. Like that's yeah. that's what they are. And anybody who wants to say I'm crazy for to calling them top four and a title contender, I get it. Like call me out, call me an idiot. I'm fine with it. I understand anybody who doesn't believe in them. But I know it's a lot of ifs and shoulds and coulds, but if the ifs, woulds and shoulds play out this team is really, really good. I agree. I mean, you have Kyrie and you have Kevin Durant. I mean, yeah, you're good enough to win it all. Obviously, you just they need to stop shooting themselves in the foot and just actually go out there and win some games. That's basically the bottom line for them. Yep. All right. And then our last team in this division, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, who I thought had a really good offseason overall. They added a lot of good depth. P.J. Tucker. Montrezl Harrell. Yeah, Montrez Harrow, uh, Anthony Melton, who I think is one of the more underrated players in the league, another guy covered in Memphis. And um, he's 6'5". He plays a lot bigger than his size. He's got a really long wingspan defensively. He can handle a bunch of different positions, some secondary ball handling. Uh, shot the ball pretty well the last season or two. Um, he is an absolutely perfect role player, uh, not only for them, but for uh, most teams. Um, they didn't really lose a lot. I mean, Danny Green, who you know I believe got hurt, and then you, you keep James Harden. Uh, and I believe he took a discount as well. Yeah. You have everything you need to make a really deep playoff run. Like I think James Harden transitioning from the number one role he had in Houston to like a very, very strong number two next to Joel Embiid. And I know he's had the hamstring issue. So, you, you know, you hope he's healthy because that's kind of limited him these last couple seasons. But on paper, I mean, you have everything you need to win. Like you have Def, uh, you have a uh, top three player in the East. You have a top 10 player in the East. You have everything you need. Like, it's just, I look at this roster and I'm like, <laughs> you know, if you told me a year from now that they ended up beating like the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks, the seven game series in the Eastern Conference Finals, I don't think I'd be surprised at all. 100%. We're on the same page. I think they're absolutely a contender. They're one of the four contenders I have in that tier. And I just want to say this, Omari. James Harden gave back real money. Like he turned down real money. And I don't think a player would do that and then go on the court and not play winning basketball and do things the right way. Like I wonder if this is a season we really see the James Harden everybody wants who's motivated and doing the things that need to be done for this team to win. Maybe I'm completely wrong again on this, but I just have a hard time believing he would give away that type of money and then not buy in with the on the court stuff as well. So I'm buying the uh, Philadelphia 76ers stock. I think they have some good depth, as you mentioned. And so they're absolutely a tier one championship contender for me. Yeah, James Harden is 33, which does not sound right out loud that he's 33 years old. He's 33 years old. And that's the 
you know, for them to leave money on the, the table, I think it's just an understanding for him. And he's in a great city. I think, you know, Philly has one of the best fan bases, you know, for any sport, really. I mean, you go to the arena and, like I would say, just the, the, the noise in there. It's just a great place to play basketball. And uh, He's in a perfect situation, I think, for this stage of his career where he's not going to average 37 a game, but he is still, you know, an excellent playmaker, uh, an excellent all-around scorer. And he could just do a little bit less. Maybe they could uh, save him a little bit more for the playoffs since he does have that hamstring issue he's nursing. But it says a lot. You know, he's 33. You know, he's probably not the alpha dog quite anymore. Uh, so, yeah, he's already earned a ton of money. He's still making, like, more than $60 million over two years. So it's not like he, you know, is making peanuts. Like, you know, a few years ago, that would have been a max extension. You know, it makes sense. You know, I think he's bought in. Uh, you know, Embiid, I think, is a great teammate, uh, just the way he carries himself. Uh, great situation for Harden. Uh, I like this team a lot. Uh, probably one of the teams I watch on League Pass more often than not. Absolutely. And then Tyrese Maxey, you see if he makes another jump. Guys, we're going to go to a short break here, and then we'll come back with the final division in the Eastern Conference, the Southeast. Talk about the Miami Heat, Atlanta Hawks, Washington Wizards, Orlando Magic, and Charlotte Hornets. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. All right, we're back uh, with our final division in the East, the Southeast Conference. We're going to lead off with the Miami Heat, who I thought just uh, didn't really do a lot this offseason. Uh, you know, they had a good year last year, obviously, but uh, you you lose P.J. Tucker and you add Nikola Jovic, um, who I know had a lot of fans in the in the draft. And beyond that, not a whole lot. Uh, you, Amari, Udonis Haslam. You're not you know you know Udonis <laughs> Haslam talk. Apologies to Udonis Haslam. Um, you know, Miami Heat legend. I mean, he is a Miami Heat legend. Uh, he's like 41 or 42. Uh, Bondal, just ultimate locker room guy, assistant coach. I actually think he played against the Pistons when they reminded me. He last did. Year. He did. I mean, people were yeah. so mad because he actually got a bucket or something, and people yeah. were freaking. I was like, yes, he's past his prime. He's old. That's not why he's on the. He's still an NBA player. Like, yes, he could go in and score a bucket at forty years old. But Pistons fans were losing their minds about that. Yeah, that was a competitive game too. Um, like it wasn't a bad game at all. Yeah, you know that was a. Uh, no, like I like Haslam. He's uh, probably the only player still in the league who was around when I started watching basketball seriously when I was in like, <laughs> second grade. So uh, it actually would be sad when he re- retires because he is a legend. Uh, but beyond that, like I, you know, I thought they had a pretty bad offseason, honestly. Um, you know, I know they were linked to Donovan Mitchell, and that obviously did not happen. Uh, PJ Tucker is just a great all around role player, and uh, it just seems like they're just kind of banking on. Uh, Oladipo coming back and you know honestly I'm not sure how good he was last year I think he uh, got some minutes in the playoffs but I don't think he was like prime Oladipo or anything but if he could come back and become 80% of what he was prior to all the injury issues he had maybe that does enough for you to make up for the fact that 
all you really did this offseason was add a rookie and lose P.J. Tucker. But uh, they were pretty quiet. Uh, I could see them sliding back to like that fifth, sixth seat. That's exactly where I have them, Amari. I have them actually below the Cleveland Cavaliers. I have them in the pretender tier for me. I don't think they're actual contenders in the Eastern Conference. I don't know where they end up. Maybe they end up in the top four of the regular season, but I just don't think this team is going to win a championship. I also don't like this team. I've never been a Kyle Lowry fan. I've talked about the Jimmy Butler stuff and my wife's crush on him plenty. So I just dislike this team completely, even though my uh, not very smart butt booked tickets for us to come watch the Heat play Detroit. Um, And it's even a teal game. So we will be there in April to watch the Pistons play the Heat. Hopefully Jimmy Butler has a rolled ankle, doesn't make the trip. (laughs) We may have to dig into this Jimmy Butler situation later, but I don't want too much drama in the pot. So we could, uh, like, I think we are agreed on the Miami Heat, uh, fifth, sixth seed. Uh, let's move on to the Atlanta Hawks, who I think are interesting. Uh, again, they didn't necessarily have, and yeah, well, no, I mean, that, they, they had a pretty amazing offseason. I think, well, I guess the thing with them is just the the trade for Murray, how he fits next yes. to Trey Young. Overall, I think for me, that falls into that same category of if you have a chance to make a big splash and go for it, go for it. We talk a lot about fit, but at the end of the day, you're not going to get a perfect fit, you know, with both stars unless they are kind of just like do everything players like a, you know, Giannis or Tatum or whatever. And, you know, Trey Young, obviously, um, is a one man offensive powerhouse, but, you know, defensively, you're giving up a lot. So maybe Murray fixes some of that. And if he can hit catch and shoot threes, that helps a lot. Uh, but beyond that, they did drive AJ Griffin, who I know a lot of people were high on him. I think me and you were both a little bit more lukewarm. But overall, I mean, I think that this is, again, another team who's sort of in that, you know, Toronto slash Brooklyn slash whoever's here where the team's not that far removed from making the Eastern Conference Finals. And where do they go from here? You know, do they creep back to being a 55-win team? Do they kind of stay the same? Uh, Bryce, where are you on the Hawks? They're the perfect example, again, of how good this conference is. I don't think there's any way they aren't in the play-in game, Omari. And their starting lineup is going to be Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Clint Capella. And and you have a few guys coming off the bench. Oh, oh, Bogdanovich. I do think Griffin provides value. I like where he ended up getting drafted. I was lukewarm on him as a lottery pick, but where he ended up going, and then he can just go to Atlanta and knock down shots. That's a team that's going to be in the play-in. They may not even host a play-in game, Omari. I have him as the ninth seed on my list, and that's what's crazy because I like that starting lineup, but you're right. The fit will be very interesting between Young and Murray. Yeah, and they just had a lot of moving parts this offseason, so I could see there being... They did trade Kevin Herter. We do, I, I think yeah. we should mention that. They traded him to Sacramento. Yeah, they, they did trade Kevin Herter to Sacramento, and he's obviously a really, really good shooter. That's tough. Uh, you know, they, they did add Justin Holiday, who's a good shooter. They did add Mo Harkless, who I think is a pretty good you know, two-way player. Yeah, I mean, I like this team on paper. Uh, they have depth. Like, their starting five should be pretty good. Uh, it's just how do all these pieces fit? And it seems like they are always a pretty good team on paper. And then for whatever reason, well, not two years ago, but last season, uh, they just kind of came out the gate code and never really got back on track. But we were talking about how deep the East is earlier. And we were talking about there's like nine teams firmly above the New York Knicks. Yeah, uh, the Hawks are like that ninth team. Like, yeah, I mean, at the very least, they're going to make a playing game and they could be better than that. But if you could see eight teams better than the Atlanta Hawks, then uh, I, I think that just speaks to the quality 
of the conference. So uh, I think they are like the the TV the biggest TBD team next to the Brooklyn Nets as far as I mean they could barely creep into the play in or they could be a top four seed just depending on how all the pieces mesh. No doubt. Going to move on to the Washington Wizards, who uh, I mean this is like to be another team in like that uh, Knicks tier. Uh, you sign Taj Gibson. Um, you get Monty Morris and Will Barton for KCP and Ish Smith. You resign Bradley Bill. Uh, you have DeLon Wright. You have Johnny Davis, who I like a lot, but on his team, I don't know if I like his fit as much. I think he's more of a wing than a point guard. Yeah, I mean, I think they won like 30. Five, 35. Five, yeah, I was going to say like 35, 36 games last year. And uh, they basically brought the same team back, yeah, except you swapped out a few of your uh, role players. But you do have Bradley Bill. You do have Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, with good health, I guess you wonder, are they a 35-1 team again? Do they creep closer to 40? Uh, I don't know what to make of this team. They're just another team. And like that, you know, maybe if everything goes right, they make a play-in tier for me. I think they're the team, Omari, that any if any of the other teams above them that we've talked about, the Knicks, the Hawks, you know, the, the Bulls get injury riddled, something like that. If any of those teams have a bad season or a season that goes south, the Wizards could be the team that ends up in the play-in game because of that. They're not going to end up in the top six, no chance. But could they end up in the play-in if any of those other teams have a season that goes south? I think so. Again, listen to the Monte Morris, Bradley Bill, Rui, Kuzma, who had a really good season, and Christoph Porzingis. That's your starting lineup. And then you still have DeLon Wright, Johnny Davis, Advia, Kisper, Will Barton, Daniel Gafford. That's your bench. That's 11. You know, I, I guess we don't know about Johnny Davis, but that's 11 real NBA guys right there. And so it's not an awful roster. To me, they got to consolidate some of those assets and try to build something for the future to get better or else they're going to just end up in some weird middle tier. As we've said, and it's been kind of the theme of the podcast, it's just another team that proves how good this conference is. This is like your quintessential 6th, 7th seed in the East in like 2016. Yes. Not yes. this year. Not this year. It's like maybe if everything goes right, they make a play in. But this maybe. is just like the definition of like your meh. Like super, like your, <laughs> like East, like Eastern Conference. Like, like I just look at the roster and I'm just like, this is an NBA team. Like this is this is an NBA team. This is like the Mendoza line of like a yes. competitive <laughs> NBA team. Like you know, if you're better than the Wizards, you're probably making the playoffs. If you're worse than the Wizards, you are um, probably going to get a top ten pick in the lottery. And beyond that, I don't really have a lot of sad. <laughs> is the Pistons roster better than this Wizards roster? Probably not. Like yeah. I don't think you can make that argument. Yeah, I mean, Bradley Beal is a legitimate star. Um, you know, one of the best scorers in the NBA, uh, straight up. Uh, you know, maybe K gets to that point next season. But, you know, again, that's already something that the Pistons may not have quite yet. Uh, you know, and that's not a knock on K. It's just he has to do it. Porzingis is, is a good player. For all of the talk about Porzingis, he's a good player, Omari. He's a good player. Like, if Porzingis, if the Pistons traded for Porzingis right now, he would, at worst, at the absolute worst, be the second option. Absolutely. But he would basically be what Jeremy Grant was last year, right? So maybe he's 1A and 1B with Kate. Yeah. Yeah, and then they have Def. You know, and again, the Pistons look at their roster, and we kind of run into this issue with the lineups last year. But you run, you run into some Def issues, you know, not with the big man rotation because you have a lot of overlap and not enough, just not, to me, not enough skill diversity. And then really thin at the wing as well. Uh, so, again, I think the Knicks and the Wizards are those teams where it's like, 
you know, due to and we haven't even talked about the Hornets yet. Another team who are in that that's here, but uh, those teams are just right in the middle. Uh, maybe they need to play them, maybe they don't, but they still have a probably a higher floor than the Pistons just because they have more talent at the top, and the Pistons are going to have to get past those teams to really make some playing noise. And that's why I don't think the Pistons are going to actively tank. Like, this is where this whole conversation comes into play. They don't have to try to lose games. Focus on development only, and you're going to lose plenty of games to put yourself in a possible position to get Scoo or Victor or Derek Whitehead or whoever because the conference is just so darn good. So I don't think you're going to see the Pistons try to lose or actively tank because they're just going to lose against teams that are flat out better than them. Every team we've talked about so far is better than them, Omari, other than an Indiana Pacers team if they go tank mode in terms of trading Buddy Hill and Miles Turner. Yeah, it's like the only teams that I think the Pistons have a very realistic chance to be better than are the Pacers and then a the team we're about to talk about yes. next. And even they could make a leap, the Orlando Magic. Um, you had the number one pick in Paolo. Uh, I know Paolo was your your, your guy. And, <laughs> uh, I think I kind of talked myself into him being the best all-around prospect too just because, I mean, he's a 6'10". Uh, primary ball handler who does everything except shoot at a high level and the shooting will probably come, you know, but you have uh, Mo Bamba, uh, Markel Foltz will be healthy. Uh, you have Jalen Suggs, who should be a lot better after a pretty uh, mediocre rookie season. You have Franz Wagner, who's going crazy in Europe right now. Uh, Jonathan also- Isaac coming back from energy. On paper, they have a pretty solid team. Like, it wouldn't be shocking to see them make a pretty good leap next season. Like, Cole Anthony, I thought was pretty good. Maybe RJ Hampton gets a little bit better. They have some talent. I mean, just between Paolo and Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner, that is, a to be a very, very good young core, versatile core. Um, and as Jalen Suggs gets closer to what he was at Gonzaga, uh, like, I like this team a lot. And to be the Magic and the Pistons are in that same tier. And... One will probably leapfrog the other next season. I don't know which team that will be. But I think, again, it just speaks to the quality of the East where, you know, one of those teams could make a leap, get close to 35 wins. But you still have all these other teams you have to get over. And despite, you know, I think both teams are drafted really well, the Magic and the Pistons, they may still be kind of stuck toward the bottom just because they're playing better teams every single night. It's not not going to rebuild or whatever. It's just you're playing better teams every single night. I think the Pistons are one year ahead of them just because I don't buy the backcourt of the Orlando Magic. I'm not a big Suggs guy or Foltz or, I mean, I think those guys are good players, Amari. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think any of them are studs. I love Wagner, Ben Caro, and Wendell Carter Jr. Those three in the front court for the Magic are, are really good. This is a team that if they end up getting Scoot Henderson in the draft, like, wow, that would be legit for them but there is a lot of depth I think what hurts you know Gary Harris towards meniscus I don't know how long he'll be out you know that's that is going to be a, a tough thing for them depending on what their goals are I guess if they're trying to win games or not but you're right it will be an interesting you know kind of battle between these young cores of the Pistons and the Magic and is see how they develop throughout this season and kind of whose young core looks better. And that's a fun game for opening night, too. Yes, yeah. Um, October 19th, I think, you know, you have two teams from the exact same tier. Uh, both of the last two number one picks going against each other. Uh, that's a really fun game for opening night. Um, all right, so we're going to try to wrap up here in a bit. Uh, last team, the Charlotte Hornets. Um, obviously, the elephant in the room is Miles Bridges with the domestic assault case. And, like, there's really no telling what's going to go down with that. So 
Uh, I don't necessarily need to do on it too much, but, you know, of course, I think that's sort of the main situation hanging over their offseason. And uh, just from a basketball standpoint, they did win 43 games last year, but with no Miles Bridges in the picture and uh, no moves that can really make that up, you know, you're basically relying on Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, and the Mellow Ball that kind of bring you back to around 500 next season, which could happen. I mean, you know, the Mellow is good. Obviously, he could, you know, make a leap forward and get more into like that scoring row. Uh, Gordon Hayward stays healthy, and that's an incredibly big if. Uh, but, I mean, this is a guy who could probably you know, absorb a lot of those additional forward minutes and have a bigger role, and he's good, obviously. And I like Terry Rozier a lot. Like, I think he's a great point guard. They have some depth. Uh, they gifted um, Jalen Duran to the Pistons. So, you know, I know, you know our listeners are very happy about that. But beyond that, uh, again, another team that's in that Wizards tier of probably not good, but still good enough to make some noise in the play-in if everything clicks. That's an underrated storyline from draft night, Omari. The, the Hornets pretty much said, we don't want Jalen Duran. We're fine with drafting Mark Williams at 15. And, and I think that's interesting. And I think that's something that we'll have to keep in mind over the next couple of years as we watch those guys develop. I got very cold on Mark Williams the, the more I watched him. I think he's going to be a fine NBA prospect, but he doesn't have near the upside to me as what Jalen Duran has. And I, I know we're going to talk plenty about Jalen Duran over the next nine months. But uh, that is kind of an interesting storyline. I think the Charlotte Hornets have, I think they can really take a step back. They're the ultimate Eastern Conference team that can really, really take a step step back this year. You alluded to the off-court stuff. Um, again, always want you know best wishes and prayers to everybody involved in that situation. And hopefully it does get resolved. But speaking just directly to basketball, no Miles Bridges. Gordon Hayward is a walking injury Mason Plumley, I think, is on the downward trajectory of his career. I don't love the depth. I don't necessarily love LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier are just going to have to put this team on their back every night. I could see them scoring a bunch of points, but it not turning into a whole lot of wins. Yeah, I can see that as well. Yeah, I mean, you have two two players who are going to put up a lot of points. and I mean, LaMelo is so young that maybe he does have some sort of leap in him as a scorer. He's already a way better shooter early in his career than uh, I thought he would be. Hey, you know, and they do have some players who could even step up and fill some of that void. I really like James Booknight, um, you know, in last year's draft. Uh, he had a tough uh, first season, but I would be shocked if he came back better and he was able to step into more of a scoring role coming off of the bench. Uh, I believe you still have Kelly Oubre, uh, who I think scored like 80 points against the Pistons. That's <laughs> how they played him. Bananas. Yeah, and it like 15 three-pointers in the fourth quarter. Uh, P.J. Washington's pretty good. Uh, you know, they have our boy Mason Plumley. Uh, Your dude. boy. That's not our boy. That is, that, is, that is not a Pistons Pulse guy. That is an Amari guy. No, that's a Pistons Pulse guy. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, like I know, I know some Pistons fans. Like, uh, shout out to Laz. I know he's a, a, a JT Thor guy. You know, so they've got – and Kai Jones. I think they still have Kai Jones too. So, yeah, I mean, again, this roster is very – Meh, probably slightly worse than the Washington Wizards, but unlike the Wizards, they have some young guys I can see stepping up into bigger roles and maybe, you know, making up some of the absence of what they lost. And I could see them uh, not being good, but still hovering around 500 like they were last season. That's going to wrap it up, guys. Hope you enjoyed this preview of the entire Eastern Conference. We will be back next week with all Detroit Pistons talk. I believe we're actually going to do a mailbag. So if you want to leave it in a rating and a review, Twitter, we'll start promoting that stuff. 
wherever you listen to the podcast or wherever you interact with us on social media. Drop us your questions for the start of the Pistons season. And then, guys, we got games coming. October 4th, first preseason game. We're going to have training camp to talk about coming soon. So this is upon us. Amari's going to have to get back to work finally after just taking the whole offseason off. (laughs) So thank you for listening. Amari, take it away, my guy. I just I just did a cake cutting out story last week. I'm not gonna take that stuff. I know I'm off season now. No, I'm kidding. Uh your Twitter handle is literally off season O. Because it's the off season. I'm still working. Maybe a little bit less than the regular season, but I'm still <laughs> working. Um <laughs> thank you all for listening. Uh Novak episode next week, which I believe will be our last episode before camp opens. So uh drop us your questions on Twitter or however else you'd like to communicate with us. Thanks to Carrie Jr. II, our editor, our executive producer, Azanet Delgado, and our other executive producer and sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. Also, shout out to Wes Davenport. Uh, we'll talk to you all next week.